The Blunt Post with Vic. Good morning and welcome to The Blunt Post with Vic. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, the editor and publisher of The Blunt Post. The Blunt Post with Vic is a program that covers national breaking and headline news, offers analysis and commentary, and I interview members of Congress and other high-profile public figures. After the headlines and Let's Get Blunt, I interview LA County Supervisor Katherine Barger, so stay tuned. Here are a few news items. First, President Joe Biden's address to the nation this past Wednesday night uh, wasn't just a victory lap for uh, accomplishments of his first 100 days. It was a declaration that the Biden administration's highest ambition would be reviving America and its democracy from the sorry state his predecessor had left it in. President Biden has moved fast since January 20th, swearing in, signing a $1.9 trillion COVID relief bill into law, less than two months into his term, and issuing more executive orders so far than his three predecessors. Those efforts have paid off, with the administration reaching the milestones of 200 million coronavirus shots delivered and vaccine eligibility opened to everyone 16 and over before Biden's 100th day in office. Unemployment is falling, with new jobless claims hitting a pandemic low, and schools are reopening for in-person learning, returning kids and families to a semblance of normal life. Members of the United States Congress and the Cabinet, distinguished guests, my fellow Americans, while the uh, setting tonight is familiar, this gathering is just a little bit different. A reminder of the extraordinary times we're in. Throughout our history, presidents have come to this chamber to speak to Congress, to the nation, and to the world, to declare war, to celebrate peace, to announce new plans and possibilities. Federal health officials said Friday that more than 100 million people in the United States have been fully vaccinated against the coronavirus, a milestone that represents almost 40% of the nation's adults. The 100 million mark is almost double what the nation had registered at the end of March. The federal government also shipped its 300th million dose this week, according to Jeffrey Zients, the White House COVID-19 response coordinator. The second wave of the pandemic has struck India with a devastating impact. With over 300,000 new cases and 3,000 deaths across the country each day at present, the total number of deaths has just surpassed 200,000 mark, and that's about one in 16 of all COVID-19 deaths across the world. It is also evident that the India statistics are significant underestimates. The emergence of the second wave in India seems to be related to a confluence of factors. Government complacency, driven by poor data collection and being in denial about the reality of the data. A new variant with hockey stick shaped growth curve and some very large and unregulated religious and political events, it is clear that there is now a humanitarian crisis of significant proportions. India is a country of 1.4 billion people and makes up a sixth of the world's population. 
A group of prominent Democratic senators reintroduced a bill on Friday that would impose U.S. sanctions on the government of Turkey if it does not take measures to address its deteriorating human rights record. Senators Edward Markey, Ron Wyden, and Jeff Merkley announced the move in the Senate, which would lead to President Joe Biden imposing sanctions on Turkey. The bill would focus on officials of the government of Turkey found responsible for the detention of prisoners of conscience and political prisoners, politically motivated detention of journalists, restricting freedom of expression through social media, and other gross violations of internationally recognized human rights. Senator Markey said, President Erdogan's free pass from Donald Trump White House to commit abuses has officially expired. President Erdogan is guilty of gross war crimes and crimes against humanity across much of the region, including Syria, Libya, Yemen, Iraq, Kurdistan, and Artsakh, also known as Nagorno-Karabakh, a historic territory of Armenia. Despite Erdogan's objection, President Biden recognized the Armenian genocide in his address on April 24th the 106th anniversary of the genocide perpetuated by the Turkish Ottoman Empire. Los Angeles County again eased its COVID-19 health restrictions on Friday, allowing indoor playgrounds and arcades to reopen at limited capacity while lifting restrictions on operating hours for bars, breweries, and wineries. Indoor arcades and playgrounds, such as laser tag businesses, ball pits, or bounce centers, will be restricted to 25% capacity, along with other mandated safety restrictions. The county is expected to reach the least restrictive yellow tier of the state's blueprint for a safer economy when updated statistics are released on Tuesday. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. Let's get blunt. For today's Let's Get Blunt, I thought, why not talk about KPFK, uh, and this fund drive that we're in. And I know that most of us would prefer that we don't do fund drives, but it's a necessity and we have to do it every few months. Uh, reason being is that KPFK has kept to its mission and its principle of being a radio station by the people and for the people that's commercial free. And so that's not beholden to advertisers and sponsors. And that obviously creates this challenge of how do you fund it then? So we have to come to you. We have to come to our listeners and ask for your generosity because for me, KPFK is a priceless institution. Uh, it is one of the very few, handful I should say, of, of media outlets that are reliable, honest, uh, and are not tilted toward uh, any kind of a, a pressure or power or, you know, as I said, beholden to um, corporate sponsorship or uh, commercials and uh, advertisers. I used to listen to this, uh, this other sort of public radio, if you will, uh, for years, and I don't dislike them. I still... Uh, admire some of the work that they do. But I remember uh, one time 
talking to a friend about this other station, and he was the one that introduced me to KPFK, and he said, oh, well, if you like them, then you should try listening to KPFK. This is many years ago. And I remember listening to KPFK for just a few days, and I was stunned by how incredibly progressive and thorough and diverse the shows were, and they really spoke to me. So... Uh, whenever I meet someone who doesn't know KPFK, I tell them uh, KPFK is so progressive that we make the other station sound like Fox News, in quotes. So that's my personal story of how I came to find about or find out about uh, KPFK and becoming a fan, a listener, uh, way before I was a programmer. So... I know that we have appealed to you many times, and a lot of you have given generously to KPFK in the past. But I, you know, I think sometimes we need to really remind people that KPFK has been around for decades and has gone through uh, lots of trials and tribulations, but it's always been here for listeners. It's always brought you really great programming, entertaining, uh, entertaining programming, and very, with diverse uh, programmers, uh, news, and that just doesn't happen. <laughs> it takes a lot of people to put in a lot of work. Um, many, many of them are volunteers, like myself, and I do it happily because I enjoy it, because I believe in KPFK and Pacifica, and Every little bit helps. Whatever that you can uh, donate, whatever uh, you can contribute, uh, if it's a one-time or if you want to be a sustaining donor, uh, it they all add up. They truly do. So don't think that you know you have to call and donate twenty thousand or fifty thousand. Although we'll take that as well, but they all add up, and they also remind us that you're listening and that you believe in what we do. Um, you know, my program takes uh, a tremendous amount of work um, to produce every week. And as I said, it's, it's a volunteer thing. I don't get paid for it. Uh, just, to get, uh, just to get an interview with an elected official, whether they're a member of Congress or a mayor or a supervisor or a council member, you know, it takes a lot of back and forth, a lot of um, sort of sending documents and samples and all of that just to book. And then there's the writing the script, the producing, the recordings, and everything else that's, uh, that, that's you know, that it takes to do this. And of course, I have a, a, an incredible producer, Ricky Herrera, uh, with without whom I couldn't do this. So Ricky and I work very hard on this because we really believe um, not just uh, the Blunt Post with Vic, but KPFK and Pacifica. And so much of what goes into it, people don't see it because it's, you know, it's just something that we have to do to get to that point. And I'm sort of reluctant to offer you know, incentives for people to donate and such, because I think there are a lot of you out there that believe in what we do, and you believe in um, 
Pacifica and KPFK that you don't really need to get some sort of a gift uh, with your donation. You know, there you have it. I just wanted to really appeal to you on a personal level and say, KPFK is a very, very rare institution. Now, I read and watch and, and you know, whether it's online or on TV, news from all over the place and commentary and analysis and shows and, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. And some of them from sort of reputable or so-called reputable outlets, very well-known ones. And I'm often surprised how biased they can be. You know, they probably don't think that they are, but you can read between the lines. So I am, you know, I'm very, I'm very hard on media outlets and what they report or don't report, what's omitted, what's, you know, what are the gatekeepers doing. So more and more uh, through the years, I've, I've just become uh, just a staunch supporter of KPFK because of what it does. Not because I have a program on KPFK, but because, uh, because of what it's done, what all the people that are involved, all the programmers and all the volunteers that work on it. There's an army of people that work to make KPFK uh, a success, and a lot of them are volunteers. Um, so I urge you to to call in and to donate whatever that you can, or you can do it online. You can go to kpfk.org because everything's possible, and that includes, you know, KPFK closing its doors. You know. Uh, I wouldn't want to even imagine that, but we don't want to look back and say, what could we have done uh, more to not let that happen? Uh, so there you have it. There is my, let's get blunt, about my love for KPFK and a transparent outreach to you saying, uh, please help us with this fund drive. It's very important it's a, still a relatively new year. We have a new president. Uh, there's a lot of hope, and we hope that we can, um, we can have your support. Thank you. Let's get blunt. The Blunt Post with Vic. Supervisor Katherine Barger serves the residents of the 5th District, Los Angeles County's largest, spanning 2,800 square miles, which includes 22 cities and 70 unincorporated communities in the Antelope, San Gabriel, San Fernando, Crescenta, and Santa Clarita Valleys. Supervisor Barger began her career in public service as a college intern in the office of former Supervisor Antonovich and rose to become his chief deputy in 2001 where she served until her election to the Board of Supervisors in 2016. She both served as chair of the board and was re-elected for her second term in 2020. Supervisor Barger serves on the boards of Metrolink, Los Angeles County Metropolitan Transportation Authority, North County Transportation Coalition, High Desert Corridor Joint Powers Authority, National Association of Counties Large Urban County Caucus, Southern California Association of Governments, Sanitation Districts of Los Angeles County, California State Association of Counties, Local Agency Formation Commission, and Los Angeles County Mental Health Commission. Good morning, Supervisor Berger. Thank you for being on the Blunt Post with Vic this morning. How are you today? 
great. Thank you, and thank you for inviting me to be on. Absolutely. Um, I'm one of the probably not too many people who knows the immense work and responsibility that the LA County supervisors have because there's there's some confusion and you know some people just sort of don't know uh, so I've uh, always admired you and your work from afar so I'm grateful to have this opportunity to speak with you it's my honor and thank you very much I think that a lot of people don't really understand the county and COVID shed a little bit of a light on just how much uh, what we do impacts everyone's lives yeah, absolutely. Um, so let's let's just start with the general, um, in your assessment and your vantage point, uh, how do you feel about where we are today uh, in this, I don't want to say post-COVID, but more like transitioning COVID period in LA County? You know, I like that. It is transitioning COVID. Um, people talk about post-COVID, and you're absolutely right. We are transitioning into um, a new phase of COVID-19, and clearly, we have turned a corner, and on May 5th, you know, the county is expected to meet the state's threshold for the yellow tier, which is something that I quite frankly didn't think we would see until June, but um, because of the people that are getting vaccinated and the fact that um, people are abiding by public health requirements, um, the spread has slowed down. Our test positivity rate is less than 1% overall, which during the height, it was uh, like really up there in the over I think 50% or not 50 40% but the bottom line is, is that to have it less than 1% overall is um, incredible and our case rate is below two cases per 100,000 again um, at the height it was uh, far greater than that um, so we are definitely um, in a position to be transitioning into uh, not only safer at work but safer in our communities Fantastic, and it's definitely it's definitely showing. You know, state of California has been on top of COVID more so than most other states. So, uh, and uh, you know, thanks to you and um, the other four supervisors and such, and uh, Governor Newsom and uh, yeah. and the mayor. Let's go back real quick because I don't want to take it for granted that everyone that's listening knows the role of. LA County supervisors, would you like give us the Reader's Digest of what LA County supervisors do in their capacity, all five of you? Sure. So LA County um, is the size actually of Rhode Island. Um, and when I talk to congressional leaders back in DC and they ask how many people each one of the five supervisors represents, we each represent approximately 2 million people, which in some states is more than their constituency. Um, our budget is $36 billion, of which we provide a lot of the health and welfare. So um, all the uh, food assistance, all the uh, benefits that come through the federal government um, come through L.A. County. Um, we provide health care. We run uh, hospitals throughout the county, which is unique for L.A. County. We also provide the mental health services for those that are most vulnerable throughout the entire county. Um, but we also provide quality of life issues such as parks and rec um, and libraries. And uh, we run two museums, um, LACMA and, um, uh, and the Natural History Museum. We also uh, have uh, the Hollywood Bowl, so we have cultural events. The Music Center is actually owned by the county, but we lease it out to the Philharmonic. Um, but one of the things that COVID has really shed a spotlight on is that we are the public health 
um, officer for the entire um, county of Los Angeles without considering Pasadena and Long Beach, which have their own public health officer. And, um, and our public health officer reports to the board, but is truly the individual that has to sign off on all the public health orders that have come down through um, the state and through the governor and the mandates that have been put into play in terms of what we can and cannot open. Um, but our, the supervisors as a whole work to oversee um, departments. And, and while we do not oversee the sheriff's department, we oversee their budget. Uh, the sheriff is a separate elected official, as is the district attorney. But we have all the fiscal responsibilities over those departments. Um, so we touch every corner of everybody's lives, including voting. The registrar recorder is under the county of Los Angeles and is charged with ensuring that people um, have access to voting and um, are able to vote in the elections um, that, that you know come up each and every year. Wow. Just piece of cake, your job. Just <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm born and raised in the county. I say I've been with the county for 30 years. I started as an intern and then was a, st a policy with health and welfare. So I have a real passion for this county. And, you know, I think that, uh, that to be a supervisor and oversee such an incredible um, uh, workforce is really an honor. Wow. Well, you... You explained all that just brilliantly. It was very dense because your job is very dense. Uh, and I hope that our listeners who didn't know, know a little bit more now. And even I have a lot more appreciation because there were a couple of points you made that I wasn't aware of. So yeah. Thank you for that. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with LA County Supervisor Catherine Barger. I wanted to, um, let's go back to COVID and a vaccination update. Um, I want to make sure, are you satisfied with where we are? Because we seem to be doing really well right now. Yeah, I mean, we are effectively getting the vaccine out. Uh, the county has distributed approximately, I think, about 7 million doses. Of these, more than 2.3 million were per second doses. Uh, so when you think about it, a county the size, it's about a little over 10 million. We've gotten 7 million doses out. Um, 2.3 were second doses. So approximately 30% of our residents are fully vaccinated. 50% um, of the residents have received at least one dose. It's important to say that J&J, &J, Johnson & Johnson, when it came out, um, really, I felt was going to be a game changer. We had to put the pause on because of um, the issues surrounding blood clots. But we're now, again, offering Johnson & Johnson out there. Uh, and, you know, I'm hoping that if people don't want to get Johnson & Johnson, they will recognize that Moderna and Pfizer are safe and effective. Um, but so is Johnson & Johnson. We've also opened up eligibility to anyone over 16. Um, and so most of our county-run sites are offering walk-up availability. So that is without an appointment. So when you heard the horror stories uh, a month ago about people not being able to get appointments, we now have availability. And I would encourage anybody um, to either go on to vaccinatelacounty.com uh, or visit the state's website, which is myturn.com, in order to get an appointment or simply walk up um, because there are places that you don't need an appointment. We're also doing more uh, 
taking it into the community. So we're not going to have these mega sites. What we're doing is we're recognizing that now people that may not be getting it don't have access to either transportation um, or uh you know, are, are shut in and, and don't want to go out. So we are actually taking the vaccines into the community with mobile units, which I believe is going to be incredibly effective. Um, but we are doing everything we can, and we are on, we are on uh, you know, the timeline that the county set um, to get this vaccine out. We've got plenty of doses. So I do believe that that's also helping keep our case rate down. Wow. That's a lot of progress in, in such a short time. So... And, and it shows in the community, shows when you go out there and people are, you know, on a positive note now. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's important for us to educate people about the vaccine because clearly, and I, I understand, the Johnson & Johnson pause really did scare people. But um, based on the CDC reports, we are in a good place to, to really offer um, the vaccines to individuals and it helps slow the spread, but it also protects them. Because with the vaccine, it doesn't guarantee you're not going to get COVID. But what it says is if you get it, the severity is less and the hospitalization is 0% of those vaccinated end up in our hospitals or end up in our morgue. Right. Absolutely. If I may, I want to change topics. Uh, we, we just marked the 106th anniversary of the Armenian genocide. And finally, we had our... <laughs> Uh, President Biden kept his promise and uh, finally uh, named it properly as it is, Armenian Genocide, and not all the sort of dancing around terms that were used by other elected officials. And you've been a huge advocate for the Armenian-American community and as well as, um, you know, also in your capacity as supervisor and the L.A. County Board of Supervisors this year, I believe, I hope I worded correctly, but you declared April Armenian History Month, um, and uh, which I thought was just sort of, it was, it was a great deal. So um, first I want to thank you for your advocacy and just uh, give you an opportunity to talk about, you know, the great work that you've done. Well, you know, the Armenian community deserves peace and recognizing um, the genocide for what it was um, is the beginning of the healing process. It doesn't mean it's over. It means it's the beginning of the healing process. And if you look at L.A. County, it is L.A. County is the home to the largest population of Armenians outside of Armenia. And as the supervisor representing the 5th District, um, which has the largest number of Armenians living um, within my district, it really was my privilege to join in the recognition uh, of the Day of Remembrance and I take my hat off to President Biden for uh, taking this bold step um, and having the backbone to call it what it what it was. But I also thank um, Congressman Schiff because every year he has brought this to the floor and continued to advocate um, to to ask the President of the United States to um, call the genocide the genocide. Absolutely. And this year he brought it over the finish line. And you talk about um, what I did in terms of um, Armenian History Month. <clears throat> what I did when I was elected was my chief of staff is Armenian. And this is uh, she was born in Yerevan and came here at a young age. Um, I think similar to you, you came at a young age as well. Yeah. So you, you understand and appreciate um, just the 
diversity and the richness of this country, but you also recognize what the Armenian people have brought to the United States. So we decided that leading up to the um, April 24th uh, Remembrance Day, we wanted to celebrate the contributions of Armenians, not only in L.A. County, but in the United States. So we, um, leading up to April 24th each week at our board meeting, would bring someone in and recognize them for their contribution to um, to this country. And I felt it was a good way to celebrate the resilience of the Armenian people, but also to um, provide insight into just how much they have brought to this country. And then, of course, recognizing April 24th, uh, the Genocide Remembrance Day, bringing in all of the uh, community and religious leaders, electives and organizations, and honor and I say honor those who died during the genocide. Um, wow. You know, I think that it's important for us to do that. And with what's going on in Artsakh, I think even more so today. Yeah. Let us not forget. This is The Blunt Post with Vic on KPFK 90.7 FM. I am your host, Vic Jaramie, and you are listening to my interview with L.A. County Supervisor Catherine Barger. Wow. That, that's, that's truly admirable, I think. Uh, just hearing from you, it makes it real on a different level. And I feel like I, I now have a responsibility to let everyone know who might not know what the LA County Board of Supervisors did because it's, uh, uh, it's really a big deal. And, and I agree with you 100%. Congressman Adam Schiff has been incredible, incredible supporter of uh, human rights in general, and, uh, of course, he's been for three decades now, even before he was a, a member of Congress as a state senator, he's been advocating for the Armenian-American community and specifically the Armenian genocide because you made a great point when you said healing because, you know, I've heard three years people say, well, it happened 100 years ago, get over it. But people don't realize that when, you know, uh, when you have a nation, the perpetrator, uh, that not only hasn't acknowledged it or made amends, but has a campaign of denial and campaign of rewriting history, it doesn't let you move on. You can't move on. Uh, you're, uh, you have no other choice but to deal with it because it's in your face. So this was definitely something that the uh, Armenian community, I think throughout the world, needed after what happened last year. Uh, and continues to happen, frankly. And uh, thanks to you know a lot of non-Armenian allies, if you will, like yourself, Congressman Schiff, Congressman Frank Pallone, Senator Bob Menendez, uh, mm-hmm. Congresswoman Jackie Speer, and uh, um, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, and and so many more, so many more. <laughs> In terms of Congressman Schiff, uh, a couple of times I've interviewed him, I always tell him I have sort of the best best of both worlds because his district is, uh, you know, pr- predominantly Armenian. And then if you go a little bit southwest, it's the LGBT community. So as a yep. gay Armenian, <laughs> I've, yep. I won the jackpot. Yeah, um, you did. You did. And, and I will say, you know, I mean, when you, when you look at the Armenian community as a whole, um, I, I don't think you would disagree. The Armenian community is resilient and will not be silenced. And so each year when they took to the streets and marched, um, I think that uh, in and of itself speaks to the fact about 
Um, it may have been a hundred years ago, but I actually have a friend whose grandmother was featured in Grand Park. Um, I think it was five years ago when we had the pictures of um, the Armenian genocide uh, victims, right. and her grandmother was one of those individuals, and and she very much it's still um, it's 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 still raw for her. I mean, it it is a hundred years may sound like a lot. But um, there are still generations that are very much impacted that mm-hmm. remember their loved ones and their parents um, talk about it as though it happened yesterday. And so it's important. And Absolutely. to your point about uh, Congressman Schiff, you did get best of both worlds. Um, he's been an advocate not only for the Armenians, but also for LGBT. Yes. And I think it, it speaks volumes to the fact that, you know, representation should mirror your, your uh, district. And he has not forgotten his roots. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, thank you for that. I want to put you on the spot for a second because <laughs> sure. I, I do fancy myself as a feminist too. I think I was a feminist when I was three, <laughs> when I would criticize my dad and, uh, and how he interacted with my mom. So uh, I, I am delighted that there are five women uh, supervisors now. And I wanted to get your perspective, if you will, on you know, this sort of transition that's taken a long time from what used to be the five gentlemen called the five little kings to now five powerful women on the board. And uh, how you see that? Yeah, well, I started with the county, as I said, about 30 years ago, and there were five men on the board. And then uh, one female was elected, Yvonne Brathwaite-Burke. And then uh, she was a Gloria Molina, but it was always four to one. And never did I ever think that um, it would be five women. Um, last year, there were four women and one man. And then when Holly Mitchell got elected, um, it became five women. And this is the first time, I mean, this is historical. And I think even across the country, um, for a county this large, um, we uh, definitely have not only you know, broke the, the glass ceiling, we've crushed it. I mean, we've truly yeah. shattered it to the point of where I, I don't think that um, you can turn back that. that And, and I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's great. I think it speaks volumes to L.A. County. Absolutely. But I think it also speaks volumes to the power of um, women in politics today. Um, women have a voice, and it was heard. Yeah. It, it, for me, is an honor to, to really serve with such an incredible, diverse group of women. I mean, you look at Holly Mitchell, who comes from the state, but also comes from nonprofit before she got elected. Um, truly, her passion in terms of her district um, showed because she hit the ground running, especially with justice reform. Then you look at, you know, Sheila Kuehl, who um, in her own right, uh, you know, an attorney, but also an elected, but um, talk about LGBTQ um, uh, issues. She's brought things to the forefront. Yeah. I think um, for this board has really been a voice for that community. Um, and then Hilda Solis, my gosh, uh, comes from a large family, first to graduate college, went on uh state and Congress, and then first, I think, Hispanic uh, Secretary of Labor under Barack Obama. Um, wow. You know, and then Janice Hahn, who uh, you look at her, the Hahn name in the county. Her right. father was someone who I worked with when I was a deputy. Um, 
Kennebon is is royalty in LA County, and Janice, you know, just brings such an incredible not only historical view, but also the knowledge um, for her district in terms of the representation she has and the issues dealing with, um, especially those aging um, with Alzheimer's. I, I can't think of a better honor than to serve with such incredible women. Wow. Well said. That was beautiful. And of course, how much we admire you and all the work that you've done. And um, our listeners um, heard your bio before the show, before this interview. Um, Supervisor Barger, I have promised to uh, to let you go to your next event because I know how busy you are, so I'm not going to elongate this. I can't tell you what a pleasure it's been and how grateful I am. Um, thank you very much for everything that you do, and uh, please come back to the show. Absolutely. Thank you, and thank you for everything you do. I think that you know one of the things that is most important is um, using your voice to really affect change and your program is doing just that and so I thank you for everything you do. I appreciate it. Have a great one. You too. Thank you. Take care. That was LA County Supervisor Katherine Barger. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed that interview and I'm very glad to be able to have her explain what the supervisors do, the immense responsibility they have and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. Uh, thank you, Supervisor Barger, for being on The Blunt Post with Vic today. I'm going to read you three tweets today about President Biden. The first one is from Howard Feynman of NBC News. He said, That was one of the meatiest and well-delivered speeches of its kind I've covered, and I've been covering them for a long time. Biden and his team and administration delivered. The right will hate it, which will be evident of how thorough, powerful, and politically shrewd it was. The second tweet is from Ariana Huffington, and she too uh, is addressing Wednesday's speech by President Biden. She said, Two women on the podium and no scapegoating, fear, and division. Nice change. And the last one is from Dr. Jason Johnson, who tweeted uh, to Senator Tim Scott. He said, Senator Tim Scott, you voted against impeachment and gave cover to the insurrection against the government. Your plea for Biden to unify the country rigs hollow. Before we go, I want to thank my extremely talented producer, Ricky Herrera. And uh, of course, thank you for joining me for another episode of The Blunt Post with Vic. Please tune in next Monday at 7 a.m. for another episode. For more information, you can visit thebluntpostwithvic.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Vic Jarami. Uh, both Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at Vic Jarami. That's V-I-C-G-E-R-A-M-I. The Blunt Post with Vic.